most of these guys, they're really good tradesmen and they know how to do the craft and they understand what it takes to get a job of that size completed. But to really think about it strategically in a way of saying, how much can I take on without losing all my hair or working 80 hours a week? That takes another level of, of, of strategy and really sitting down and, and digging deep. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, you're not going to believe what happened to me this morning. Uh, well, I don't know if viewers can see it on the full screen or this small screen, but I got a bookshelf up here. And your book, The Profit Problem, is sitting right here. And Out, out of the camera shot, of course, but that's okay. Out of the camera. Well, maybe not on the full screen. If someone's okay. watching on YouTube, then they're going to see it. But uh, there's a bathroom right here, and someone shut the bathroom door pretty hard uh, next to me. And the book fell off the the, the wall. And so I, would, I don't know if that was a clue for me to get rid of the book off the shelf. It just needs to go, <laughs> or maybe I need to pick it up and read it. Um, but it, it kind of fits well into our episode today. I, I think, Martin, when you learned that we were going to be talking to someone who does construction, accounting, and finance, you uh, your heart leapt for joy a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tim, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about what we're going to discuss. Yeah, today. absolutely. We're, we're, we're happy to have you. Thanks for, for jumping on. And you're in Florida, right? In West Palm Beach, Florida. It's not so great weather for this week. It's been raining, but uh, most of the time it's sunshine and good golf weather. There you go. Yeah, I mean, maybe you deserve a week of rain. We, get, <laughs> we, 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 uh, we have it a little rougher over here usually, but we actually have great weather this week, right, Martin? We, we do. It's beautiful. Yeah, we uh, get tornadoes, but you get those giant tornadoes that are about 70 miles across. <laughs> call them something else, what, hurricanes? Yeah, hurricanes, but we can at least see when they're coming. So right. we have some time to get out and get away if we need to. <laughs> oh, we, we, can, we can see when they're coming here. They're just only about 400 yards away. Right. <laughs> and we don't have basements in Florida, so we can't get away from a hurricane right. by going in the basement. So we gotta, we got to make a decision. Well, uh, yeah, Timothy, uh, there's there's a vacuum of good bookkeeping and accounting help for construction. This is from my experience of years of working with contractors and builders and manufacturers. And they're just, a lot of people have inadequate books if they have any books at all. Right. And I'm just curious, I, I love the fact this is your area of concentration. What in the world made you settle on it, decide on it? and then come to have the opinions that we'll be talking about here. How did, how did you get started? <laughs> I grew up in a house where there were good days and bad days. And sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there were good years and bad years financially. And my father uh, was a general contractor. He's been in the business. He was licensed since 84. Um, and just watching how he managed his finances and how we got through things as a family, uh, just made me understand the construction industry from an accounting standpoint. I didn't seek out to help construction when I first started the accounting firm, um, but I found out quickly that these guys were in need of a lot of help, and I also needed to 
niche down to one thing and construction was just a low hanging fruit for me. And so my father uh, definitely gave me a, a big picture of what it's like to have good days and bad days in the construction industry and kind of how as an owner, he responds to it. And so I just wanted to be able to create healthy habits um, for a construction company. Well, did your dad, now he'll probably hear this. Yes, he will. <laughs> so, be very, so be very kind. But was your dad a great example or an example of, oh, wow, I don't want that to happen to me? He was a great example of, man, this is what it takes to work hard and to get somewhere. You know, so I saw him do great projects, big projects and some notable you know, things in his in his industry. But he also spent a lot of money, you know, um, doing helping people and also pleasurable things, you know. <laughs> so and it, it, and it all kind of went off of how well the company was doing at the time. If I got a big project, landed a big deal, we're all going to go celebrate. We're going to have a good time. The whole neighborhood's going to know about it. And then when things slow down, I don't see him as much because he's working, he's hustling, he's he's going to this job, going to that job. And, you know, it was just always very, very uh, fast paced. So, yeah, it well, was. Do you, do you think, <laughs> we'll, we'll not use your father as an example because he'll be listening, but in general, yeah. do you think people, uh, understand whether they're doing well or they're just managing by the cash in their bank account. That's one of the things I see. Oh, I got a lot of cash, man. I'm going to have some fun and then find out at the end of the job that you're short. Yeah. Most of these guys don't, um, at least when they're starting out, they're small guys. And I mean, 10 million or less, uh, these guys are not really monitoring their projects from an account, you know I mean? Using accounting software and sophisticated technology. They're looking at, hey, how much do I have in the bank today? Who do I owe next week? Who do I need to pay tomorrow? Who's been, you know, ringing my you know, my phone off the hook? That type of thing. And, and it's kind of like just getting things paid as as money come in. And they're just managing things from a different, a different place, you know, because they haven't been taught these things when they're going through their licensing exam. They didn't you know, or trade school, if they went to trade school, they're not, they're not being taught these things. And so right. it's just, you're, you're being taught the trade, not the financial part of it. One of the things I say frequently, and it applies to all businesses, not just contractors, is that you will spend more of your time. And by that, I mean your mental capacity and your stress time on things that have nothing to do with what you do. Right. In other words, I'm good at building, <laughs> but I've got to go market. I got to go sell. I got to go bid. I got to deal with bonding companies. I got to be a leader to these guys. It's those things that when people start in a trade or a, a business, they frequently never even considered those things. Yeah, agree. Uh, and you have to consider those things when you're thinking about running a business. And if you're trying to grow a business, like how do we determine um, growth and how fast we should be growing and are we growing, you know, how those things are being determined and decided. That's where you need someone with that financial uh, expertise or at least knowledge um, on a basic level to help you 
you know, understand what's going on in your company. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if you just had to cut, reduce it to a couple of things, what are what are two things that every contractor has to know or oh, understand man, anyway? There are more than yeah. that, but yeah, the the two top that come to mind is scheduling and estimating. And I know those things seem like. Well, estimating seems like a financial thing and scheduling probably doesn't, but scheduling is very much so a financial uh, thing to consider in construction. And so these things can really throw your whole projection, all your projections off, of course, if you get it wrong. Um, I would even say scheduling is even a little bit more important um, because at least with scheduling, if you get it right, the job will get done on time and then you can get paid on time and you can invoice on time and do all those other things. Uh, the estimating piece that would just say, Hey, if I get it wrong, I may break even or I may lose a little bit of money, but usually you, you know, most contractors won't lose a ton of money um, with estimating. They will lose, they can lose money, but they won't lose a ton of money. You will lose a ton of money if you get scheduling wrong. I've got a great example of that that (laughs) happened recently. One of my clients had a big job, and they kept real good records of what costs went in and what revenues came. So they knew they had a $400,000 gross profit. Mm -hmm. The problem was they lost money on that one job. The problem was that it took so long to do that the overhead more than ate up that $400,000, and they wound up in a loss and the overhead had to be paid by that job because it was consuming all their capacity. So it's yep. not like they could do six other jobs and help pay for it. So that's, I think that's a brilliant point. Scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. Scheduling is, is, it's one of those things that it's a skill. Um, and I would say estimating is more of an art form. Um, but definitely people need to up their skills and scheduling because that can, that can kill profit margins that can kill your business if you yeah. if you just don't get it right. When you look into scheduling with one of your clients, what are some of the things that you see them do wrong when it comes to their schedule? I think what I see them do wrong is they don't identify what the critical path is. So they don't know what needs to be completed first before this next thing need, has to be completed. And you need to understand that critical path because there's come some things in construction in the construction process that can get completed simultaneously and there's some things that would just bottleneck if this one thing doesn't get completed first and so they need to be able to understand what needs to be be completed first second third and what their order is um the other thing is not get enough money up front in mobilization to to mobilize and so when you're not we don't have enough money you're trying to actually collect money from other sources so that what you can mobilize and get things scheduled out and order materials and have deliveries uh, shipped and those type of things. And if you don't have those deliveries on time, if if the subs are not, you know, paid so they can get started, then they're going to they're not going to start the job until they receive their deposit or whatever it is that they're seeking from you. Um, so that can just bottleneck a schedule very, very quickly and put you in a very uh, big financial buying yeah so how how do you see them doing that do you do people you work with do that with software or is it just a mental process where they 
take steps? How do you see people who do it well? How do they do it? You have a project management software. You have to, uh, especially when you're doing two, two or more projects. I know it's like, what? Yeah, two or more projects because these projects, depending on the size of the projects, can be very time-consuming and they have a lot of moving pieces, a lot of communication that can be falling through the cracks or uh, communication that can be under-communicated or, you know, those type of things. But when you have a project management system where everybody's communicating um, through that system with each with each other about certain phases of the job, nothing's lost. And you can always go back and fix things when you have when you have a place a centralized place to go and find that information. Yeah. Can you can you name a couple of softwares? We we talk that, about that, that Martin with like one source of truth, like having that project management software where, hey, right. if I need to know what is happening on this job what my responsibilities are, I know exactly where to look. And when you don't have that software in place, it's like, you know, you're going and asking this guy and then you have to, you know, go back and look at some notes in your phone, but you didn't really take notes in your phone. You're looking at text messages and it's just a mess, right? Um, Yeah, Martin was, I think was gonna ask what kind of softwares do you recommend on project uh, manager software front? I know there's so many that are specialized based on the industry or type of construction you're in. Uh, Any that you have that are favorites? Yeah, if I'm if I'm looking for like a catch all, I'm looking at Build a Trend. Yeah, Build a Trend is just, I mean, these guys these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, um, for and it fits well for both residential and commercial. Mm-hmm. And I use it for both, and all the like the to do checklist that they have in there, the different things that you can code, like whether this is a build a variance, a customer variance, um, your leads, all that stuff. And estimating and it being a created invoice off an estimate, a PO off an estimate. You know, all these things are just beautiful and it works beautifully with, with Build a Trend. And I have a, a tech stack or an ecosystem that I use, um, which is Build a Trend coupled with QuickBooks Online, coupled with Build.com, coupled with Dex. You know, so there's a couple things that I use um, to get. The, the, the organization to communicate efficiently and to work um, very harmoniously, yeah. you know what I mean, with, the, with each other, so. Yeah, we talk about tech stacks a lot um, in several of our episodes. Uh, Build a Trend is a good software, uh, especially if you're more of like a GC, uh, especially helpful there. Uh, it's good for certain subs as well that have other subs uh, on top of them. Um, and I would say if you're more of like a service, uh, contractor that's doing more like appointments recurringly and stuff like that there's there's other tools like jobber is a good one uh maybe service titan are other good ones as well uh you mentioned bill.com and quickbooks i'm assuming quickbooks for the bookkeeping and taxes aspect and then bill.com for the invoicing the bill.com is for the accounts payable portion um because build a trend coupled with quickbooks online then the invoices will move from from Builder Trend to QuickBooks, and then you will just invoice from yeah. QuickBooks. That's the way that would work. But with Bill.com, Bill.com, we yep. actually have um, we we have our, our our contractors to create a accounts payable email address, so that way all their subs and vendors can send their invoices to that email address, and then we have all that that information for our, I mean that email box 
inbox forwarded over to bill.com. So all that stuff goes right into bill.com, you know, without someone actually hitting the forward button or someone pushing that information in to bill.com manually. Right. And so now we can start to review what bills we have due and, and start to approve them and code them inside of bill.com. So I, I love it for an account payable solution. That's great. And then what was the last one there? Dex? Yeah, Dex is is is, is kind of like the thing that I like when, you know, there's always going to be some some type of purchases that's being made on the fly. Mm-hmm. So what you're going to have? Receipts. So Dex is that receipt capture system. So that way, if you have, you know, one or two guys who can go and make purchases, purchases for on behalf of the company, they can use Dex to upload those receipts and kind of just handwrite, you know, um, or they can code it right there on the phone too. And then we will have that information at the accountants or the bookkeeping team to be able to see, okay, this is uh, something that was bought today. You know, so Dex is more of like that today purchase. Mm-hmm. Bill.com is like something I need to pay later. Gotcha. And and they do ultimately wind up from Dex into QuickBooks. So you've got your pet liabilities in QuickBooks. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So they, once they all that information gets coded in Bill.com or Dex, it gets pushed to QuickBooks and then QuickBooks would then resync it or because um, it's a two week sync between Build a Trend and QuickBooks. So it will update everything inside of Build a Trend. Uh, with Dex, what's the value in like explain that to the contractor of having that in real time in your books, knowing exactly what's being spent on a day to day? Why is that so important? That's important because if just imagine this, like if you were to capture a receipt when it happened, the likelihood of you understanding where you are on that project tomorrow is like goes way up, you know, because now you we have as your accounting team or your bookkeeper team have the opportunity to actually code that information and get it into the system. So now you can kind of see you know, where I am, where I was yesterday and where I am today. And instead of waiting for the whole month to complete and then to someone to go back and kind of code everything and get everything in the system and, and then go back and review the reports. No, we want to, we want to make decisions on the fly because we may see that, Hey, we're, we're under build right now. And it's because of this, this one phase of the project. So we may need to put like two more guys on this project, on this phase of the project, so we can get it completed, so we can invoice the customer for this phase, so we can get paid and have enough money in the, in the bank to cover our expenses. So you can be able to make those type of decisions when you have real-time uh, data being um, being captured. Yeah, for sure. And I think also it, it's, it's not just about understanding where you're at on the job, if you're underbilled, all that stuff, but even just improving your processes. I'm sure some of those day-to-day transactions that are happening because guys are running to Home Depot to grab something that they didn't have on the job side or whatever make you realize we need to be better prepared for jobs. And so now you go in and you have a better materials ordering process and you make sure the trucks are loaded before you get over there because you talk about going back to scheduling. That's a huge part of the reason why jobs don't get done on time is because you weren't prepared for the job. And you have to make these runs to, to Home Depot, and then you get stuck in traffic. And then, uh, well, you had to be there for a full day, but you spent half the day just driving to go get something. So now you got to wait till tomorrow to do it. And, oh, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. And 
I always tell my contractors if you're if you're not doing POs, then you're more likely going to have these problems mm. because PO is having a purchase order system is just going to get better over time. You know, you may not be used to it in the beginning, but it's going to it's going to improve your processes over time because now you're going to get better at knowing what needs to be ordered for a job, how much you know I me mean, of this material needs to be ordered for a job, and then getting that over to the the subcontractors or the vendors and then getting those POs approved and getting payments out so you can get those materials dropped at the site and those type of things. Because once you see the receipts, you know, number start to go down and the PO number starts to go up, you're heading in the right direction. That's good. I think well said. I, I think, you know, we've Really, all of this comes back to habit change, in my opinion, as far as like using a project management software. Like, there's so many. Build a Trend's a great one. There's so many other ones out there. But at the end of the day, it's really about habit, about actually inputting information, tracking information, and looking at it regularly and having that as a part of your culture as a team. Um, even with getting keeping jobs on schedule, with not having as many receipts or using POs, it's a habit that you've got to change. And once you can get that behavior changed, then you can really start to see the progress. Uh, but otherwise, it becomes really difficult. And I think one of the biggest behavior changes that a contractor needs to be aware of and, uh, for themselves and just the way that they think is not seeing the sale as uh, the profit or the finance aspect of it that they're really focused on. Like, oh, I got the sale. We're good. Now we got money yeah. in the bank or whatever. And then also not focusing on waiting until the end of the job to look at the numbers, not to just, okay, we're going to wait till this is all done and then we'll see what we got and see what our profit was. It's really about looking at it in real time, knowing ahead of time that you have a good margin, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but then keeping up to date with it to see if you're on track day to day, that's a habit that will, and a perspective shift that can really change the way that you operate your business and making sure that you have money in the bank. Uh, well, what we're talking about here. If you're, if you're not doing it, you're a contractor and you're not doing it, is a level of sophistication. We may not think of it as being sophisticated because we talk about it every day. Do you perform this service for your clients at the level of managing the POs and managing their QuickBooks and making the entries? Or do you advise them on how to do it? Because it is, we sit here and talk about Let's get some project management software in here and QuickBooks. People aren't going to know how to run either one of them. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, right? Isn't that that's right, my experience? Right. And yeah. so, even if they're fired up, as as Cleo says, and we want to start changing our habits, and I realize it, and I'm disgusted, and I'm tired of putting up with all this chaos, I'm going to figure it out. And then you go confront all that. And so I'm literally, I mean, I'm always looking for people such as you who will do it on a contract basis. Do you do mm -hmm. that? Do you do that all over the country? Yeah, we, we serve contractors all over the country. Um, have a couple guys in Colorado, Wisconsin, and uh, maybe soon to be in Arizona. So, um, so yeah, so that that's a good question, question to Martin. What we do is we work together with the with the construction company. There's some there's a point person because there's somebody who's uploading the receipts, or there's someone who's creating the POs because you know, good as we are, um, we don't we don't know the cost code for every single thing that's being purchased out there, and so there's there's going to be a tag team 
type of uh, action that happens. So we make sure that everything goes into the right place and we make sure that every expense gets captured and gets coded correctly. And what that means is because we're tracking that, hey, this came through the bank account, but we didn't find, we didn't see a PO for it or we didn't see a receipt for it. So we didn't know what job this goes to. Do you have the receipt? Can you create the PO? And that's part of like developing that, that habit of, you know, just creating POs and capturing receipts. So usually we're either working with the owner directly who doesn't have an office admin, or we'd be working with the admin, the office admin, uh, to get these things accomplished. And so the accounts payable piece, it's a lot easier because that's more automated. It's coming through uh, the email system to bill.com. And then we have an approval process that goes on. So someone at the construction level, whether it's the project manager or the, the owner, he's approving uh, or she's approving those POs and um, or or those invoices. And so those how those, those things will get. But, but we're working together with the construction team to to take care of this it's it's not a one-sided thing it's like it's not like you hire us and then you can just drop everything and just stay out in the field <laughs> you know no, there, yeah. there has to be communication <laughs> and i presume yeah. there's a, a a great learning curve there of where you do begin to understand what things are coded without yes. having to call and ask somebody have you ever seen anybody transition off in other words they start with someone like you or with you Mm-hmm. And then over a period of time, they can bring it in house because they're getting bigger. They're more profitable. Uh, I don't know if that's in uh, something you think about or worry about, but has that happened? No, it hasn't happened um, yet. I mean, of course, my career has been short lived, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I haven't had a client who aged aged out of me or, or, or grew bigger than what I could handle at this particular time. But I'm, I'm assuming that at some at some point it could happen and I would love to see it happen. Well, it might be more effective to have your whole team, you know, you're, you're purchasing the percent that you need from a team rather than hiring a bunch of people to do it for you. So say it again. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just saying it, it, it could be that it doesn't end because it's more cost effective to have your whole team on a as needed basis than it is to hire three people to do it who, are there full time and maybe you don't actually need that. Yeah. What you get with, what you get with us, you know what I mean? Cause sometimes what you pay us may be a very hefty salary for one, one person who will be in this company, but that one person can get sick. That one person has a different labor burden rate. Um, and it, it can change, you know, just depending on what you are offering as a company. And so when you hire a firm like, like ours, then you have, my whole company um, that's essentially being hired. And so if a bookkeeper gets sick, the work still guys has to get done, still will get done. And you have several people working on just your, your, your one company and helping you to, to review the things. So you just have more minds at the table uh, to help you strategize and to understand your reports and to just help you to, Really, I mean, just really be a great sounding board. Cause I say sometimes I'm, I consider myself a, a therapist for my clients just because of all the other things that come <laughs> with the job. 
We understand that, don't we, Khalil? Yeah, yeah, we do. And I, I think also the value in having, you know, I was even just working with someone on their org chart, um, but on Monday, and I think that the value in having someone that you don't have to really manage, like you do need to manage your contractors that work for you, like, you know, you need to have that relationship, build that relationship. But as soon as you bring it in house, you do have to either hire someone who can manage that person and give, give clear direction or you have to do it yourself. And I think sometimes when something's over your head, uh, especially if you're not savvy with bookkeeping and financial statements and all that and the tax uh, side of it as well, it's really great to have a trusted advisor. I mean, that's our whole trusted advisor series, right, Martin? Right. Yeah. So um, really interesting. So I want to get into a conversation around margins a little bit. Uh, It's such a big part of what we we talk about on the show. It's a big part of what you help contractors with. When you work mm-hmm. with a contractor for the first time, maybe what is that first step or first conversation that you have about margins? Yeah, so the first thing I have about, first step I have about margin is really about vision because I need to understand where the company is trying to go um, because we need margins to support that growth. And so are we trying to become a $10 million company, a $20 million company? Are we trying to offer benefits next year? Are we trying to um, hire a new, you know, project manager tomorrow? You know, so it's just what what are we trying to do? And so they have to share that vision with me. And then once that vision is shared, then I can say, okay, what is your desired operating profit margin? Because that's going to be different for everybody. Uh, No two construction companies that I know of have the same desired operating profit margin. And so once we identify what that is based on what your visions are for the company, now we can start to look at some real numbers. And so we need to create a baseline uh, because we can't decide anything without having a baseline. And so my whole thing is if the books are not ready, let's get them ready. Um, Let's see where you are today versus where you were yesterday and then get a baseline. And then now we can say, okay, well, this is what the margin needs to be to just break even, you know? And, and, and then we can talk about other things later, but let's first, you know, getting you where you're at least covering your operating costs. And when you were, when you have that first conversation and you're, you finally, cause it is a process to finally get the books in order. I know it's not like, you have that first conversation, they give you a login and then it's good to go. Um, But once you do have those books in order and you know their numbers, um, do you find that people are surprised by their margin or they're completely aware that they've got it, they've got a good, they they knew their margin was accurate and right and it's what they thought it was. Hey guys, can we just jump back real quick and define margin? Because you've talked about what I would call a net profit margin means bottom line right, as a percentage of sales, and then there's gross profit margin. Could you maybe talk about those two things so they know? Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll start at that base level. What we're being specific about, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm talking about the, the net profit margin. That's, that's after cost of goods has been paid um, and after all expenses, operating expenses have been paid. And so what is that? What, is, what, what do you have left over? Hey, and let me, let me ask you, what do you typically see? I mean, 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%. (laughs) 
I've I've been seeing somewhere around like five percent, um, like to be that average. And you you I don't think no one's really trying to grow a huge company, you know, um, on five percent profit margin. Let's let's put that in perspective because <laughs> that means you sell a million dollars worth of stuff and you wind up with a net profit of fifty thousand before taxes and you pay forty thousand or forty percent, let's say, that might be a little mm -hmm. high. So you got thirty thousand dollars left out of right. a million. That's what that means. That's what, and that means. should make people mad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look how hard, <laughs> look how hard you work for thirty thousand dollars. And what I used to say: if a box of fittings falls off a truck, you're in the hole. Yeah. You don't have enough to absorb any mistakes. Of course, mistakes never happen, right? Or a cost <laughs> overruns, or somebody who doesn't pay you, or to finance retainages for three years because that's how the guy contract you signed reads so but yeah five percent basically we'd say and i think we agree is not acceptable it's not acceptable yeah no first target for people i work with and it's the first target is 10. Mm -hmm. so you you yeah. sell a million you got a hundred thousand on the bottom line and there are people who do 20. yep yep and there's a, and they live different lives they definitely live different lives and these guys also understand cash is king. You know, you need to have cash in the bank. I can't tell you how, I don't think there's been that one construction company that came to me with a savings account that had money in it. <laughs> uh, I have to say it because, because they yeah, may have had a they, savings account. <laughs> yeah, they, I, but, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't have any money in it. <laughs> and, and that's a problem. And, some of these guys live off of their loans and lines of credits. And that's another bad, bad sign and bad indicator for me that we may be in a, a cash crunch and we need to get out of it. We had a, a guy I worked with three years ago at the end of the year, he made $350,000 as a net profit. He had $750,000 of accounts receivable and he had a bunch of inventory, but he didn't know how much, what it was worth. Oh man. Yeah, he'd been around a while, but basically he was loaning out his bank loans to his customers to as receivables. But yeah, it, yeah, it can be really tough. Yeah, it can be tough because a lot of people don't understand um, loan payments come out of your your profit margins, and so when you think of that, that's another thing that's kind of tanking your profit margin. Because if you take out a million dollar loan, they make you a million dollars a day. And then you may use it on some project, you know, or some other thing. And then it's financed for 20 years, 15, 20 years. But every time you make that payment, you know, you're paying that out of your profit. Because you're saying that I'm taking this loan out because taking this loan out is actually going to yield me a higher profit margin. Um, so that's the, whole, that's the whole reason of me taking it that's out. That's why. <laughs> yeah, because I see that it's going to grant me this opportunity around the corner that I wouldn't have unless I had the cash because I don't have the money to maybe mobilize up front or to buy materials, those type of things. Uh, but when you're just taking it out because times are hard, then that, that gets a little scary. Yeah, I always uh, like to uh, talk about that fact that what you spent the loan for may be an expense, but paying it back is not. 
So Isn't our that? little example of somebody who makes 5% and pays taxes and has 30000 left over, if they have $45,000 worth of loan payments over that same year, yeah, cash, they're in, the, <laughs> they're in the hole. They're in the hole. Yeah. They're in the hole. And that's scary. Well, you know, on, on margins, so we talked about net profit margin, meaning the bottom line as a percentage of sales. But there's also gross profit, which is the margin that people use in bidding, right? That's your share of the sales dollar. So it, you sell a dollar, but it costs you 60 cents worth of material and labor. What you have left really is 40 cents, which mm -hmm. you have to use first to pay your overhead. And once that's yep. paid, it begins to accumulate as profit. Yep. So how do you see people, what, what attention, how do people bid? That's my question. So how do they estimate a job and put this bid in and say, yeah, that's a good bid? What's their... What, what do you see as a methodology for that? Some people do just what you just said. Yeah, that's a good bid. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a, that would be the biggest sale we've ever made. Biggest project we ever made. Yep, that was it. That was, yep. a, good, that was a good bid. Uh, some guys have these Excel spreadsheets that they come up with. and But very few are really doing like a true takeoff where they're counting up like every cent um, of my, like how does, what does this nail cost? You know, what does this screw cost? That type of thing and, and really putting that into the equation and then marking that up. Um, and some people don't understand that, you know, the markups, they're not the same with the, the project margin that you, that you're going to yield. Uh, so, I may mark up material 30%, but I may yield a margin of 15%. Uh, so you have to understand where I need to mark up different things, you know, whether it's labor, equipment, subs, uh, and, and, and material. And those markups can be all different types of markups. You know, I can have a 5% markup on labor. I can have a 20% markup on material you know those type of things you can play around with those markups and then with playing around with those markups then you can see okay what did that yield me for a, a a job profit margin and is that acceptable well that just all depends on again going back to your your net profit operating margin because now you have to determine how many jobs do i need just like this and that's going to run perfectly because that's the only way that I'm going to yield this margin because the job has run perfect. <laughs> and, and then fact that in into, okay, I need 10 of these jobs for the, for this month to cover, you know, um, my operating costs. So I need, you know, 50 of these jobs to take care of, to take care of myself for the year. So then that goes down to, estimating like how how much do, how how much in revenue do I need to be estimating um to make sure that I have landed uh enough of those jobs for the year to cover my operating margin um so you need to come up with a closing rate like how good are you at closing and and really winning those bids those type of things so all that kind of data needs to be tracked and 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 checked and you can very easily see if I don't have a project management system it's just very hard to track all this stuff. Wow, you are so 
perfectly on point. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing this. Uh, <laughs> I, I call it intentional bidding and what you what you just said, capacity. In other words, at this margin that I get, I have to sell 10 jobs, which is, let's say, 10 million a month, or a million a right. month, whatever. Do I have the capacity to do that? And you look and you say, there's no way that I can afford the materials and to pay the labor and overhead while this job, I can't do 10 million. And you need to know that because if it's not even possible, then go do something else. That, that of course, is not my suggestion, but it has to be possible. And I don't know if I've ever, I know they're out there, but I don't know if I've ever encountered a contractor who really thought about, this is my capacity to do work. Financial capacity, people capacity, number of project managers, accounting support. This is what I can do. What margin yeah, I, do I have to have? They don't think about it that way. I, have, I haven't come across a lot of people who think about it that way. Um, most of these guys are just, they're, they're really good tradesmen. And they, they know how to do the craft. And they understand what it takes to get a job of that size completed. But to really think about it strategically in a way of saying, how much can I take on without losing all my hair or working 80 hours a week? You know, that type of thing. That's a, that's a, that takes another level of, 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 of strategy and, and really sitting down and, and digging deep. Right. And so and do you work with, on that subject with your clients? All the time. Yeah, that's I'm I'm big at on education, I'm big on strategy, and so that's a huge part of why I love what I do because I get to tap into all these other different arenas. Um it's not just the numbers game, it's also um we're growing a company. You know, and right. we want to see these guys live healthy lives, you know, where they can spend time with their families, they can take vacations, they can uh not just have a job that they're managing, but actually manage a company. Um, and so that's kind of always the goal for me. And I only want to work with people who, who want to get there. Well, so. Oh, I love it. Uh, two, two other things on bidding real quickly, and I think you already touched on them, is a lot of times I want to see a bid process. And people say, oh, we use $1.50 a square foot, or we use X dollars per yard, or you know, linear feet. Or something like that. I said, well, that that might be okay. When was the last time you jumped into that dollar fifty a square foot and analyzed it? And of course, with all the changes in the last three years, they're changing every time you do it. So that what you said about what's a nail cost? I say, oh, I don't want to have to do that on every job. <laughs> I said, well, your suppliers are doing it to you because they're raising the cost of that nail a half a cent when their costs go up and pass it on to you. Absolutely. And I tell people we can't be the price increase buffer between the supply chain and our customers. We have to do it. And, we, and one we, one other thing, just real quickly, because you yeah. you've mentioned margins and markups. I was at a place uh, last week, a prospective client, and I asked to see how they bid. So they had all their numbers there, and I don't know whether they got them by so much a square foot or what. And then they said, well, we then we had 10% for profit, and we had 10% for overhead. And I said, well, I don't care what you called it. You added 20% to the price. They said, so we got a 20% margin. I said, no, that's a markup. Yes. 20% <laughs> markup is a 16% margin. 
Mm-hmm. And a 40% markup is a 28% margin. And if our listeners don't understand the difference between that, we could talk about it. But go find, call Tim and, and find out what the difference is because there's a big difference, right? Huge, huge, huge yeah. difference. You have to understand that. You have to get that right. And once you start to understand the difference between markup and margin, it's, you're just going to become a better estimator. And that's why I say it's, it's more of an art form because it's, you, you start to play around with these markups and, and you get to see, okay, where, what, what margin do they yield? And is it acceptable for my company? Because that's the reason why some contractors, or you may have five contractors bidding on one project, but one gets awarded because some guys say, hey, I can't do it that cheap. You know, it's going to hurt my company. It's, it, I, it's, it's worth me going out bidding 10 other jobs to, to get the right margin than to work this one job that I know is, is, is killing, killing my margin and ultimately killing my company's profit. Right. And so I, I just can't take this on. It's just it's going to do too much damage for me, you know. That was going to be my next question because when I talk to people, they say, well, you – you talk about margins that I need and all this kind of stuff, but there's a market out there and I can't sell it for that. And I think you just answered that. Well, well go find ones you can and give them a reason other than price to use you be really good and all that. Yeah. But you can't sell it for that. You can't sell it for the lower bid either. Cause it's death by a thousand cuts and your company's going to go away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need to one, one, one other data point I look at is um, how much of salaries is eating up revenue because that could make you bid higher when you don't necessarily have to bid higher if you can lower your salaries because if those salaries are eating up more than 30% of revenue then that's, that's a red flag in my book um, I like to keep salaries at 30% or, or or below, uh, and we need to do that so that way we can grow the company steadily. And as it continues to grow, then your salary will grow with it. But some some guys they they get a little anxious and a little hungry, and they and they just want to have you know big paydays up front. You know, year year one, year two, uh, year five, those type of things, and not. And don't understand that the sacrifice has to be made up front so that way you could enjoy life a little later. But that's something to, to look at because if salaries are are really heavy, then you have to have really high margins so that way you can, can, can cover, you know, your overhead. Um, but salaries is one of the the, the, the biggest bleeders for a, a, a construction company and you need to kind of find ways to plug that up. But you mentioned one reason and that's people kind of want to pay day and get hungry and get and start hiring people early. You see any other reasons that salaries are bloated in uh, companies? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big one. You know I mean? with just getting hungry, wanting those big paydays. But one, one thing that I see is there are people who, 
and this sounds harsh maybe, but there are people who really don't do anything in your company and they've been around a long time and you can't really justify their salary, but you really don't want to terminate them and that's a tough decision. But you have to cut the waste out of your company even if that waste winds up being a person. True. And a lot of times it's hard because it's family. And especially, you know, a lot in construction companies because construction companies, these guys like to work with people they trust. And who you like to, who, who can you trust usually is, is family. And so I, I may have my, my, my wife doing my bookkeeping. I may have my, my mother, you know, uh, answering phone calls and doing some filing things away. But at the end of the day, if, if they're not the best at it and, and, and really helping you move the company into, into the future, then you really need to reevaluate their position and maybe uh, rearrange them around, put them in different, you know, different seats on the bus <laughs> or uh, just say, hey, you know, we got we to gotta hire somebody who's competent and has the skill yeah. set to help us grow, which is going to ultimately help the whole entire family. And so that's kind of what we need to frame up for the for these owners. Well, I want to uh, maybe change the subject just a little bit because uh, one thing that happens, and you've alluded to it, when people are maybe running at a loss and don't really know it as they start borrowing money, when, when should a contractor get a line of credit or maybe a long-term operating loan? Uh, one thing you alluded to was not to cover up losses right, right but what <laughs> so i will say this you know you're gonna have a hard time getting a line of credit or getting a loan if the books are are not healthy so you definitely want to have healthy books profitable years those are the t that's the time when you want to get that line of credit when things are going well when everything is going well that's when you should be going out to get a line of credit i always recommend getting a line of credit uh, because it just gives you another layer of protection when you know the money is coming, but that pay app just got approved yesterday and it won't be into your bank account until 30, 45 days from now. So now let me go ahead and take the money out to cover whatever expenses I'm going to have in those 30, 45 days and be able to replenish that, that line of credit back once I get the pay app inside of uh, the check into my bank account. So that's how we should be using these lines of credits uh, when we were, when we were running this construction company, not when we, Hey, things are just slow and I just need some money to keep my guys going. Uh, that's, we need to look at some other things. Have you uh, ever encountered what I call gangster loans? Uh, and I see them a lot and a gangster loan to me, and they're, they're not crooked, and there's actually some places to do it. But somebody calls you up, they go, based on your bank account, just send us your bank statements, and we'll put 200000 in your bank today. And then they yeah. start taking it back literally tomorrow. Yeah. So you feel <laughs> real week. good about it because you made payroll, but then all of a sudden it's, it's you know, $3,000 a week or, or $1,000 a day or something. They, have you ever seen people use those, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've seen it all the time. Uh, I've only seen it once, and it worked. <laughs> and <laughs> where they, they, the company, they needed the money to just 
you know, uh, float material cost and, and labor cost, but they had huge, when I mean, and I say huge, huge pay apps that were um, being approved that was going to pay that back and leave profit in the bank. I mean, so it was just the profit was so they did a, such a great job on the estimating side um, that when every time they get they, they made money, uh, I'm sorry, they got approved pay apps, they, they were actually getting you know, money to cover operating costs and profit at the same time. So they didn't have to wait to the project ended to actually see all the profit. So that's like the only case I've seen it, yeah. you know, work. Well, and one, one reason is it's, it's a great reason to get a line of credit because that's what it is. It's emergency funds available if you need them. Hopefully you don't even plan to use them. But by the time I see most people go to these gangster loans, it's because they're desperate and they've been suffering. I mean, it might just be receivables and a cash crunch, but it's a lot of times it's losses and it, it won't ever lead you out of the hole. Yeah, it, it could, it could definitely be those losses. And a lot of times too, it's just, these guys are not getting, they're not getting invoices out on time. I see a lot of guys who just, yeah, I got this done. I got this done. got that done. I just need to find time to invoice. And I got a, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of invoices to send out. And I just haven't done it yet. That's that's not good. So that shows that's a that's a clear clear sign that you need some help. This <laughs> business has gotten, you know, kind of beyond what you can handle by yourself. Because if I can't get paid on time, and it's because of me, then that's a huge problem. Right. It's a huge opportunity. Yeah, fix yeah. that. And it, yeah, yeah. Let's fix that quickly. Right. And one one thing I don't know if you've ever done this, but I ask a lot of people, "Have you ever forgotten to invoice anybody?" And I don't think anybody's ever said no. They hadn't. <laughs> and I also say if they if they try to say no, I say, "Well, how do you know?" Well, that's a good uh -huh. question. But people forget to invoice. They do. You know, it winds up being a week and two weeks because they're out smoothing the next slab. They're too busy to invoice, like you just said. And then it's a month and then it's six weeks and they remember it. And then they think, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm just yeah. not, not gonna, not, not gonna send them the invoice. And we just, Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. We can't do that. We can't do that. And we got to get invoices out on time. So that's the main, the main thing. I, I, I have a bookkeeper priority checklist that my bookkeepers use and we, um, we go over it you know, pretty consistently to let them understand what's important to me as, as you know, their supervisor and also it's important to the, the clients that we serve. And number one, is, you know, making sure that payroll is ran and the people are getting paid right there on number two. I mean, it's accounts receivables. We got to make sure we're collecting. And, and so that's how important getting um, your invoices out because that's what's going to help run the company and you don't want you know, to have one, any lag. One thing that has come up recently in an example is you're a couple of days late with your invoice, but not really because the general pays on the 20th. If they get it on the 21st, that's right. 30 days before they consider it and approve it. And there's 30 days before they pay you. So that little yeah. two days costs you 30 days. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Prompt billing. Huge. 
huge profitability. Huge. Yeah. Man, this is, uh, I feel like we could talk, especially you two, I feel like I could talk about this for uh, <laughs> hours and hours. Uh, Tim, what's it like to to get started working with you and, and maybe walk us through that process for listeners that, you know, they've, they've heard us talk about it enough. They see that, you know, you're very knowledgeable. You have uh, the capacity and capabilities of helping them. They want to get started. What does that really look like? Yeah. So first step will be what I call the financial blueprint. And with that process, that's where I give you a checklist of things that I want to review. So I'm going to be looking for your last three years of tax returns, personal and business. I want to see access to your books if you have it. I want to um, see your depreciation schedules for the equipment and vehicles and things, those type of things that you own in the business name, not in your personal name. And uh, <laughs> because some people get that kind of confused. Yeah, yeah we have a company. <laughs> we have a company truck. OK, who, who, who named the company truck is in? It wasn't my personal name. Oh, it's not a company truck. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> those type of things. And then I want to know how, you know, the different loans you have, line credits you have. And I kind of just want to get take a real deep dive into your 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 financial uh, data. And once I've understood that, I put together a presentation for you to tell you what I discovered and also to provide solutions for you. And once you decided, hey, Tim, I'm glad that you told me everything that was wrong with my company. And you also, but I love the fact that you, you know, gave me some solutions as well. I'm, I'm ready to take the next steps. And then we will just from there start the onboarding process. And the onboarding process depending on the size of the company, you know, can, can take you anywhere from 90 to 180 days, just depending on the size of the company, because we, you know, we're implementing so many, so many different things. I mean, you got to think about it. We're, if you don't have books, then we're, we're getting your books cleaned up and then we're getting them ready. And then you may be crunched for taxes. So you're like, I need my tax returns completed too. So then we got to get the books clean so we can do the taxes. Um, then we, we're trying to implement a project management system. Get you trained on that. Got to get Bill.com set up. Got to get Dex set up. Got to get you used and you know trained on using those systems. Um, so yeah, so you're meeting with us frequently, and you're meeting with us every week. You know the bookkeeper is meeting with you, and I'm meeting with you strategically. You know depending on what we decide every two weeks or every month, or sometimes it's weekly in the first beginning of the process. So it's a lot that's happening. But we don't want to overload you, you know, because you may have been running this company for 20 years to, to try to change everything at once would be very scary and be a disservice uh, to how, you know, I mean, we're onboarding you as a client. So we have to do things strategically and say, hey, let's do this first. Let's do this first. What are the, the quick fires that we need to be put in, putting out uh, so we can get you up and running? But definitely you're going to have a great system um, in place, you know, after after about six months of uh, being with us and, and, and really, you know, going all in. You have to be all in. Yeah. And, you know, I think for a lot of contractors, it's always, well, what does it cost? I'm sure it's different for every size contractor and, you know, depending on what you come in with, where you're at with your books, because that can determine a lot. But on a rough, you know, range, what is it? cost a contractor to get started working on this type of stuff i say depending on the size of the company there's but 
there's no contractor that I work with who's paying less than two two thousand a month. Okay. You know, so yeah. Okay. So is there a, is it front end loaded to get caught up? It is front end loaded to get okay. caught up. You know, so yeah. it depends on what we're doing. Like if you're saying, Hey, let's clean up last year, twenty 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 two and then also get caught up for this year, twenty twenty three, then of course there's some there's some front load loading there because we're going backwards to 2022 to get that cleaned up and to get the taxes filed. And then we also got to get caught up because right now we're in April. So we got to get from January to now, get you caught up there too. So, and, and those well, things have to happen. It's just, it's a sequential order. You know, we need to get 2022 done and then so we can get 2023 on the right. books as quickly as possible. Yeah. And then part of that 2000 and maybe even the front loading a little bit is, is does that include getting some of that tech stack set up? Like if they're not using bill.com, if they're not using decks, if they're not using QuickBooks, are you setting all that up for them? Uh, build or trend even? Yes. Yes. We're setting all wow. those things up. Of course, there are wow. some things with um, build a trend that they will have like a cause build a trend that does really good with the customer service. Uh, so yeah, they'll, they'll get do you the set up things, for them. But yeah, they'll do some of it, you know what I mean, for a good, a good portion of it. But all of you know, my team, we're Builder Trend certified, uh, so we understand how to use things that are even non-financial related, like the scheduling, the uh, how to help you get your to-do list uh, checklist set up and do those things, and how to use the estimate estimating tool, and how to um, even use the Builder Trend takeoff software. So those different things, but we. We really like to get great companies to work with. So I don't work with a, a ton of companies um, at one time, especially during the onboarding process. Uh, if I'm onboarding, you know, two or three construction clients, then more likely I can't take any more than that because we're yeah. just doing we're just doing so much. And I need I need all of my attention to be on these guys and making sure that they're they're successful. And then once you've gone through that blueprint process, what's like a, you know, let's say I've been with you for six months. What does our working relationship look like after six months? Are we, are we meeting weekly? Are we talking so it, regularly? It just, what does that look like? It just depends on what packages they, they sign up on. They have um, things that they can meet with me, have a, an account at a strategic meeting. Like I say, either every two weeks or every month. And that's when we're taking a deep dive into the financials, where things are, um, understanding the numbers, reading the story, and, and just kind of seeing what thing, how things are speaking to us and just having uh, some strategic conversations, even if it's off topic. Because a lot of times I get into their personal lives. And so because yeah. their personal lives are, are affected by, you know, the, the, the business life. And so we're having conversations and those type of talks. Then they pick on... Um, a, a package of whether they're going to meet with the bookkeeper either weekly or bi-weekly. And so that's important because that's when the bookkeeper is going over everything accounts payable, accounts receivable, making sure that everything has been collected that needs to be collected, everything that has been coded and paid that needs to be paid. And so just making sure that all the numbers are in and they're good. Yeah. So they have ways to to uh, pick those packages as well, just depending on how busy they are. Just a real quick question related, but a little different. Do you do percent completion? And in other words, do they have an accurate 
WIP working process so they really know their their profit monthly and yes that's the beauty of builder companies that's the beauty of builder trend software that's why i like like it so much because the WIP uh percent completion is already built into the software and so as things are being um estimated po's are being uh approved those type of things all that's kind of going in and you have a a working um work in progress uh report that's that's always fluctuating just depending on how much information what information is being fed to it so yes okay. yeah i, I think really important you know it's obviously a lot of people can be sit there listening and think oh wow minimum of two thousand a month um I, you know, I have a bookkeeper right now or my accountant's much less than that. But I think the things that they're missing on probably with their current accountant is that one, they're not construction specific. They don't have a huge background in it. Uh, and so the, just the value of someone understanding truly how to operate your business and that works with other contractors that are successful is so valuable because the strategies are different. Uh, and just the understanding of what works is different. Um, but then also that tech stack and the implementation of it uh, and then the accountability of it is a huge differentiation and something that is well worth the 2000. I think if you're only looking at it as a service, you might struggle to see value or to think of it as valuable. But if you start to see it as a strategy and you start to see it as, you know, really replacing or filling up a complete department of your org chart, then you'll really start to see the value there because yeah. otherwise, you're having to do this on your own. You're having to hire other people and manage those people to do it. Uh, so I, I think this is a really great service you're offering, a much needed thing for contractors. And um, yeah, I, I, it's really cool to see someone's out there doing it so holistically. Uh, so yeah, we've really appreciated having yeah. you on. I appreciate it so much, Khalil. My heart is in this and I get so much joy um, out of seeing uh, guys just transform. like. Hey, I, I, I hope he doesn't get me on this because I have a client, you know, but uh, I don't think he would. But I remember his guys were submitting their timesheets by text message, you know, and just making the shift of moving them to a time clock system and getting that time clock system to integrate with the payroll system. And having that process all automated changed his 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 life because he used to spend, you know, a couple, I don't know if it's an hour or an hour or two, but just going through the text messages of every single employee and saying, okay, they work to this day. I mean, they started, they, I think they would text their start time and text their end time. Yeah. So and that convert was that tough. to hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not like having a geofenced app that they you can't uh, submit your time when you're at the convenience store on your way to the job. You can't submit. Until yeah. You get there. Yeah. So I was so glad and and honestly this this that's client I'm talking about. He is my rock star client because when I say he was all in, he said, Tim, whatever I need to change. You tell me, and I will learn it, and I will implement it, wow. and we will just get through it. And that's what he has done, and he has committed to that process. And his business is on its on its way to double doubling its, its revenue that it did last year. Yeah, we're on track. We're on track to double 
double the numbers from last year. Well, and that's such an important aspect of it is that you do have to be all in. If you if you sit here and you say, "Hey, I'm going to hire Tim, and we're going to be we're going to be gold in six months," that's not really how it works. Like, I'm going to hire Tim. Right. I'm going to be all in. We're going to bust our ass, and we're going to get to work on this and make it happen. Then you're going to see yep. something that's really fruitful. You know, it's not that it's a yeah. silver silver bullet from Tim's company. It's really that <laughs> no. uh, if you if you if you work with Tim, he's going to be an excellent guide w- to help you get up this mountain and. You can try to go up the mountain yourself, but Tim knows the path and you're going to have to carry your own stuff. You're going to have to work really hard. He's going to give you a hand every once in a while, but that's the best way to get to the top of the mountain. So that's man, it. appreciate having you on Tim. Thanks for, for all of your, uh, your knowledge. Uh, people go check you out. Where can people get in touch with you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook. So those are the three platforms that I'm on. And of course, you can always go to my website, either gplusf.com or constructionfinancialblueprint.com. Constructionfinancialblueprint.com. Okay. So those are all the places to check me out. And also my YouTube channel. I keep forgetting that. But I got, I got some videos on YouTube that kind of gives a little bit more information about what we do and how we do it. But uh, yeah, so the YouTube, go to YouTube at gplusf, G-P-L-U-S-F. And then, you know, they got that at thing now, so you can kind of search that way. Okay. You'll find me. We'll put these in the show notes, too. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Cool, man. Well, yeah, we hope to see you around again soon. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I just have to say in passing, too, $2,000 a month, name me an employee position that you could hire for $2,000 a month. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. I said, you know. It, it, it's, it's sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their minds around it. But when you say it that way, like what employee you're going to hire, who's going to be that skilled at what we're doing for that, right. that amount of money. Yeah. You, you know, you, it can't be done. Yeah. Can't, can't be done. Well, appreciate it, Tim Martin. Thanks as always. And, uh, yeah. Thanks listeners. We'll see you guys soon. All right. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the cash flow contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.